0: Welcome to the Words and Nerds podcast, where we bring literary goodness straight to your ears. I'm your host, Danny V. Today, I welcome Christine Sykes, author of the bestselling memoir, Gough and Me, her first novel, The Changing Room, and The Tap Cats of the Sunshine Coast, which we're going to talk about today. Welcome back, Christine. How are you? Oh, thank you, Danny. Um, I'm well, a little bit of a cold, but otherwise I'm very
1: well and, and delighted to be here.
0: Oh, it's the season for it, isn't it? You just can't shake these things. And there's a million viruses going around and, you know, I have little kids, so they bring home everything for me. So that's been great. So my immune system's either going to be very good or very bad. I'm not sure which one. <laughs> now, the Tapcats of the Sunshine Coast, such an enjoyable read. Uplit apparently is the genre, which we'll talk about shortly because I must have been living in a cave I'd never heard of Uplit before, but we'll talk about that soon. Can you start with an elevator pitch as to what this book is about?
1: Uh, Well, essentially this book is about a seniors tap dancing group who decide to enter the senior superstar competition and this creates some challenges and tensions for the group.
0: I love the idea of a senior tap dancing competition. Tell me how this idea inspired you. Uh,
1: the idea was inspired, in fact, by my auntie Peg. Um, my auntie Peg was a role model for me for much of my life. And when she retired from her job as a private secretary, she took up tap dancing. And when I retired, I took up tap dancing. So when I was casting around for what to write about, having decided on retirement that I would try to write books, um, it did seem to me that that might be a really good topic. And we are now hearing so much more about the benefits of all dancing uh, for people, um, all people, but particularly mature age people, that it has both physical and cognitive
0: benefits. So it also highlights some of those benefits. Oh, I love that. I love how that you're inspired by your Arnie and I love how you were doing it as well. So tell me, Christine, how good are you at tap dancing now? Uh, I'm. Don't be humble. Don't be humble. Oh,
1: okay. Um, I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good. Uh, we're in rehearsal for our Christmas uh, dance and i've got most of the
0: steps and i've got i've got a lot of the Oh, is this going to be recorded you're going to put this on tiktok or something because i need to see this <laughs> <laughs> so getting back to Uplit, i saw it at the writers unleashed festival at the shire and there was a session that said Uplit, and i was like what is Uplit?" and then everyone looked at me like i'd been living in some sort of deep cave so Perhaps I'm the only person who didn't know, I do know now, but for those who may not know and may have been living in a cave with me, what is Uplit and why is it important?
1: Well, well for me, Uplit um, is uplifting. It is a story of hope. Um, They are stories uh, that often have a lot of humour in them, a lot of human relationships, um. But I think the other side of upbeat is there are also challenges. And, and certainly in my book, there are some social issues as well. And I, I think it's a way of writing story that's engaging, um, that may tackle some issues that does deal with uh, the real issues people face but in an uplifting and very hopeful way.
0: Mm, I love that. But you don't shy away from the tough sort of issues as you, you know, touched on just a second ago because we meet three very different women, Sophia, Carol and Bonnie. known each other for a lifetime and i love nothing more than childhood friends because i feel like they've seen all the versions of you and they still love you so that is really special but there's something that really threatens their relationship and i find that dynamic very interesting because childhood friends often have a really strong bond that can't be broken and yet their friendship is threatened by a secret that's kept by one of the women tell me about this without giving away spoilers
1: i know it's a bit hard to talk about Um, yes, as you said, uh, Sophia, Bonnie and Carol have been friends since primary school. Uh, they are very different people um, and I think they've, what I was really interested in is how did they maintain their friendship for all that time because when we meet them they are in their, their sort of mid, their late 50s um, heading into their 60s. So they've been friends for, a very, for about 50 years, a very long time. And I was very interested in what happens to that kind of a friendship where people think they really know everything about each other and then suddenly discover that they don't. How far can you push a friendship like mm. that until it starts to fray at the edges? And if it does break or fray at the edges, can it be put back together again? And, and is, it, is it the same kind of friendship? And and I'm also very interested in the three, the, the dynamic of the three women and how that works out, because often in, in life we do find ourselves in a group like that. And and you know, sometimes one person feels a bit left out and the other person or, or another person does. And that sort of dynamic when it works really well, it works fabulously, but sometimes it's when when there are tensions, it, it makes it really really interesting, and mm. that's obviously what makes it interesting as as a novel because, um, it is about tension and it is about um how people grow and change through tension. Mm,
0: absolutely, and I think relationships are twofold. I think they're resilient, but I also think they're very fragile. And these are friendships and romantic relations, etc. And I often think that sometimes we we don't. We take that for granted a little bit, and we don't realise just how fragile friendships can be. Even if they do have history, and even if they are resilient. Yes, and you're, you're absolutely right. And and
1: sometimes, as in this story, friendship do relate on on maybe one person being the the person who holds everyone together. And in this story, it is Sophia. Um, Sophia you know, came to Australia when she was five. Um, she is of Greek background. She's a peacemaker. She she uh, tries to, she does see everybody's points of view. And I was interested in what happens if she stopped doing that. Um, how do
0: the others respond? Do people kind of change to fill that gap? Mm, that is really interesting. I love that. And I love how there is a focus on friendships. I mean, there are so many books about romantic relationships, which they all have their place, but I really like the idea of focusing a book on friendships because they're often not, you know, dissected in that way of, you know, I've even heard about, you know, how do you break up with your friend when it's not working anymore? So all of these things are not explored very often. Mm,
1: yeah, and and I personally have found, and I, I think many others, that the importance of female friendship to me is, is extraordinary um, and I have very, some very long-term friends and I guess what interests me is that they do see you in with your faults, and they do see you in your weaker moments um, and generally they're very supportive but friends can also be the person who tells you things very straight uh, and who can kind of help you help you grow and change. And that's that's often a bit of a strain as well. Mm. So I love that idea of our friends both supporting us but also sometimes kind of pushing us a bit and saying, you know, come on, you kind of need to be here or need to do this or whatever. So that, that that kind of double relationship. And, of course, we choose our friends and our friends choose us, which,
0: which is just lovely. Mm. Always there for the reality checks, aren't they?
1: Yeah, you, you know, you, we need a reality.
0: <laughs> and I do think um, friendships with history are really interesting. And I touched on it before about, you know, knowing all the versions of each other and then growing through that. Because if I think of my own childhood friends, some of them I've had since preschool and we have seen a lot of different versions of one another, and yet we've still managed to stay friends, even though we sort of, don't have a whole lot in common anymore it's the history that we have Mm -hmm. and so I find that history is really interesting to have known you know people longer than you probably have known your partner even oh yes and I have
1: friends like that and with some of those friends we didn't see each other very much for many years you know our lives took a different different turn and then we've reconnected and in reconnect you know it's almost it's almost like those years were washed away Mm. they didn't happen and we catch up very very quickly um and I and I guess I am surprised that even though in many ways we've grown apart because of the different things we've done when we do come back together we we very often find common ground quite quickly
0: yeah I found
1: that Um, as well yes certainly some of my friends
0: I've known much longer than I have my partner Mm, it's a really special thing female friendship and i'm glad that it's Mm. being celebrated more than ever before i think so the book is set on the sunshine coast they also have the opportunities to go tapping around to new york and the greek isles tell me about this and tell me about the research that you did
1: uh, okay, well, the the story was set on the Sunshine Coast um, in part because that's where my aunt Peg was, and I did see her tap dancing up there, and I've spent a lot of time up there. I've got quite a few family up there. I love the coast, and I love the idea of tap dancing in a place where it gets really hot and humid. And there is a scene in the book uh, where they are tap dancing in a in a hall that doesn't have air conditioning, and, and I love that idea of you know, people struggling through those kind of things, um and this particular tap group, like many, like my, my own tap group, actually that I'm in now, started in you know the garage garage of someone's home and has now moved to this to this hall. Uh, so I, I think that setting is really interesting, and and for me, the coast and and um the the sea animals, the vegetation, etc., are very important in the book. I think and and really come through. In terms of traveling, yes, they do uh they do get the opportunity to go to New York, uh, where I have been. Um, and of course, you know, one uses one's own experience sometimes uh as a backdrop. It it, it sort of just comes in, you know, what would I love to do? Oh, I'll go to New York and tap dance. Uh and there is actually a, a many tap dancing schools um, in the United States, which is where tap dancing originated. Um, and I did do quite a lot of research into tap dancing. It was a na- National Federation of Tap Dancing, which, which is in New York, and a national tap dancing day uh, in the United States. And that was really interesting for me as well, to do research into the history of tap dancing um, and looking at the both the um, racial issues around that because tap dancing did... Um, much of tap dancing originated at, for, with the African Americans, um, and then it was kind of altered as the years went on. And there are different forms of tap dancing, which I found really interesting. So I've ma- managed, I think, to um, blend some of that into the book, hopefully without kind of dumping too much in- information on people, but but just trying to weave it through the book with um, uh, various scenes uh, that that bring that in. Um, and then, of course, Greece, uh, again, uh, I do locate um, Sophia's grandmother, her Yaya, in an island in Greece, Kepelonia, uh, where I, I have visited and, and uh, the village she lives in I have visited. So very much pulling on some of my
0: own experience around that. Sounds like an amazing research trip. <laughs> <laughs> Now I know this is uplit and it's about friendships and it's positive and hopeful and all of that stuff, but what were the challenges of writing this book? Um the challenge well,
1: there were there were two levels of challenge. I mean, one was some of the issues that were raised, um, and I don't I don't think I'm giving much away if I say that there are issues around forced adoption in books. Um and that partly came out of something that happened in my family it wasn't exactly the scenario it was, a, it was a different scenario but it really alerted me again to that issue when and I was um having a child around the time when forced adoptions was at its peak and just before it everything changed and uh for those um who uh, who weren't involved in it or need to know. Forced adoptions hit their peak from about 1950 to 1970 and uh, it was around the stigma placed on uh, young women who became pregnant out of wedlock. Even that term wedlock is is very kind of telling, I think. Um, and they many, many, many young women were coerced uh, to give up their children and that has led to an enormous amount of trauma. So I did a lot of research around that. I I spoke to friends of mine who had been through that experience. I talked to the post-adoption support services. um, And I also um, read the reports to the Senate inquiry into forced adoptions. The book is actually set in 2013, which is the year Julia Gillard made the apology for forced adoptions. Uh, So I I guess that was sort of one level of challenge. the other level of challenge uh, was actually writing the book. Um, I would say that I made every writing mistake that you can make when I first drafted this book, except I found some more to make. <laughs> uh, so I really, really had to work hard to turn uh, the draft of this book into something where I guess I was telling myself the story um, in in my own way, which is... is um, um, it, you know a bit a bit too much telling um, and a lot of passive voice because I'd worked in the public service um, and I really had to rework it and rework it and rework it so that that I could um, make it accessible and interesting and engaging for the reader mm, I'm was interested a,
0: a, a experience I'm interested though what were the really you know huge mistakes that you made while writing the manuscript
1: uh, well the first Passive voice was the obvious okay. one. Um, having been a public servant for 30 years, I was very, very good at writing in the passive voice. Um, <laughs> not even realising that I'd done it. So I had to do a you know, mini workshop for myself in passive voice. Uh, point of view, um, I had no idea about point of view, um, but I, I was lucky enough to be doing a course with Emma McGuire and she pointed out very quickly um, that I was head-hopping all over the place and that if I... If I didn't stop, my reader would get very dizzy and confused. Um, so learning about point of view was one of those kind of, I, I think those kind of building blocks of, mm-hmm. of Um And once you've got it, you've got it. But until you, until you get it, it's very confusing. Um, the old show, Don't Tell, uh, mm-hmm. which, uh, for me, was a struggle in that I, I, I tend to be, uh, I, I tend to write. Not a lot. I'm not. A, I'm not an overwriter. If you mm-hmm. know what I mean, I yeah. tend to be quite concise. Um, so I have to build and weave and, and grow scenes. Uh, and learning uh, that. you I mean, we all show and tell. You have to show and tell in any, anything. Otherwise, um, it, it just doesn't work. But the balance of that and determining what things you want to show what things you want to showcase I suppose that you want the reader to actually be in the scene for Mm -hmm. as compared to telling so you can move from A to B to C so that was a really big learning experience as well Um, Mm -hmm. and you know all all the things we're told to do using the senses putting ourselves into the scene and really trying to do that uh, building character. Um, I mean, I started with I thought a fairly clear idea of my main three main characters, but over time they developed, and and I really had to. I guess, work on their differences and work on their different voices and and try and bring that over. So heaps and heaps and heaps.
0: (laughs) I love hearing about that, though, because everyone sees the shiny, beautiful book, which is great. Uh, But, you know, I think we need to know the reality too, you know, because it's hard. Writing's hard.
1: It's hard. I had an an image came to me when I was... um, in, in deep editing towards the end, you know, where my editor had been giving me feedback, and we were really wrangling the last bits. And I have this image of a book as um, a bit like a—you know—you get a jewel in a rock. Um, that that's how it starts. And when you get an editor or edit yourself, it's like a jeweler who can see the beauty or or, or how this stone is going to look. Um, but you need the expertise to polish it and cut it and, you know, a, a, and angle it the right way. Um, and then particularly for this book, then often sometimes you then want to put that jewel in a setting mm-hmm. that shows the jewel up. And, and to some degree that's what happened with this book right towards the end. We put it in a, in a slightly different setting. And it, for me anyway, it, it just worked. And and I hope it works for the reader as well. Mm,
0: I love that um, visual image you've given me. (laughs) Now, the importance, um, so the question that I ask everybody on the podcast, you should be, you know, well prepared for this one. I think I asked you last time, but they do evolve, I think, these answers, is why do you write? Um, I
1: write because I write. I, I I can't not write. Um a my, my daily journal. Um, even if I'm sitting in a meeting I have to write. There's something <laughs> about writing and me that that is important. Um and and I suppose the other thing is that my head gets full of stories mm-hmm. and I need to do something with them, otherwise I think I might go mad. You know? <laughs> I, I often live in this sort of alternate parallel universe and I'm, I'm off doing something completely different. My partner's often been known to say to me, So, where are you? Where have you, know, you been for the last hour? Oh, I've been off some beach. Thank <laughs> uh, you very know, much. I don't need to physically travel to travel. And I sort of thought at one stage many years ago, um That maybe if I wrote it down as a story, you know, people wouldn't think I was going mad. But I suppose the other the other thing is some, um, you know, why why keep rewriting, mm. rewriting, and trying to get? Yeah, it to that's
0: people. the question, isn't
1: it? I, I think you know there is something important to me about telling myself the story, and and I guess I'm one of those writers who finds out much of the story by writing it mm-hmm. so when I do start with an idea and, yeah and a bit of an, but it's writing it and solving the problems and I find that really interesting but then that process of rewriting and rewriting for the reader and and I guess I just get this sense of you know I owe it to myself and to my characters to get it out there and certainly in the case of the tap cats I felt like I wrote it to my auntie pig mm, I love that yeah, she did uh, read an early, very early draft of it um, and was very kind to me. She typed up a be- on a beautiful white piece of paper, with no mistakes, her comment. She gave me her feedback. And as a PS she wrote, the ladies in my tap dancing group really wanted to read the manuscript because they want to know if they're in it. <laughs> but I told them they had to wait till it was put by a copy. <laughs> so whenever I felt like giving up, I could feel Auntie P going, Come on, Chris, come on, Chris, where's that book? You've got to get that book out. <laughs> I loved it. I mean I've done a lot more work on it now. And now I think about it, I'm a bit embarrassed at what I gave her. But the whole story was there. Mm. Um yes. Uh and uh both of um uh her well, her children have seen it, my cousins have seen it. And in fact I did um I had uh the wonderful experience of going up to the Sunshine Coast last month and doing talks up there, and mm-hmm. my one of my cousins was in the room for those talks. So that was wow, awesome.
0: that is really special. Mm-hmm. It's special how you've incorporated all of those things: your personal experience, your Auntie Peg, um, you know, those female friendships, and so it ends up being, you know, fiction, of course, but a really special book with those mm-hmm. sort of real life elements in it. And I think that's what you know makes books, because you've got you know not only the fiction in there but the heart and soul and those real experiences and I think that's what makes all the difference. And I discovered what up was. So you know mm-hmm. what a win. <laughs> we are we are always learning. It's the same as when um you know I'm, I'm speaking to a crime writer. There are so many little subgenres of crime writing now that mm. you've never heard of or that it come up and um you know emerge. So it's really cool that um we can keep reinventing genres and writing. <laughs> mm. Hmm. well thank you christine that was um you know such a lovely chat i liked bumping into you at writers Unleashed, you know a few months ago now weeks months ago what is time christine uh, but i really enjoyed um the tap cats of the sunshine coast and i really think that all of us need a bit of uplift now with the last couple of years we've had so mix that up with you know your crime fiction and your whatever else you read <laughs> i think it might be a good balance so thank you so yeah. much
1: the only thing I have to to add is um, a Brisbane reviewer um, did a, re- a lovely review of the Tap Cats, um, but he did give a warning. He said, um, this is a book that really should be read sitting on a balcony with a glass of wine or a nice cup of tea.
0: Perfect. I love that. And that's the only way to read a book, right? <laughs> <laughs> on a balcony, chamomile tea, or if wine is your thing. <laughs> Thank you so much, Christine. Thank you for that.